0: Hello and welcome to the Power Couple Podcast, where we get to listen to love stories and learn about relationships. I go by the name of Justin Jack Holmes and I will be broadcasting to you from the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. And today, our guests are Wabi Gishik and Sarah
1: Rice. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you. Miigwech.
1: Yeah, miigwech. Really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Course. I wanted to
0: first start off by just uh, asking the two of you, how are you doing through COVID times?
2: Pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it gets a little tiring after a while but um we've had uh quite a big year this year and it's uh, mostly happened during COVID mm-hmm. so um it's uh and we can talk a bit more about all those developments um but uh yeah I think those uh all the changes in our life and our lives um over the last uh eight months has mm-hmm. um has really helped to kind of see us through uh this challenging time Mm -hmm. not to say that it hasn't been challenging but but, um, it's really helped
1: yeah it has you know just some big milestones for us as a family (laughs) you know our second son was born in June Uh, I changed careers Um, Sarah's been on maternity leave because of the new baby Um, so you know we've been able to put I guess a hyper focus on our immediate family which has been good and Um, really I guess cherish the time we have right now Mm -hmm. Uh, it has been hard otherwise though and not being able to see other family like the weekend after the pandemic was declared, we had planned to come to Ottawa to visit some family, and uh, we haven't been able to return since. And you know, we haven't seen some of our family there in a long time. So, friends. or friends, yeah. So that that's tough for sure. But I mean, you know, it'll be a memorable time for many reasons for us. So we're just you know taking it day by day and just feeling fortunate that we do have you know our healthy, safe home. Uh, as a refuge, you know, of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Amazing. I think you know it's it's interesting to hear your
0: feedback because I think for myself, just reflecting in the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, whatever, I work from home anyways, like <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. i can I can handle all this. But now, I think being eight months deep, I'm really starting to feel the effects of lack of human interaction, lack of being able to go out and see friends. So I can relate to the highs and lows because I got my recent job through COVID. And so for me, that's a celebration, too, through these kind of pandemic times. So I can I can relate to you on, on highs, but there's definitely a lot of lows, too. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so just to help our listeners who may be learning about you for the first time I'd love for them to learn a little bit about you individually so where were you born and what is one of your favorite childhood memories
2: oh geez (laughs) (laughs) so uh I was born in Sault Ste. Marie uh I am I grew up in Bruce Mines um and my mom's family is from Garden River First Nation, and my dad is Jaganosh and uh, mostly of Scottish descent. Um, and his family has uh, pretty deep roots in the Bruce Mines area. Um, so I'm formerly Sarah McGregor. I changed my name when we got married to Sarah Rice. Um, favorite family memory. My dad's, well, both my grandparents um, had farms uh, my grandparents on my dad's side uh, had a family farm for generations. Uh, and on my mom's side, uh, my grandparents, uh, my mom grew up on reserve in Garden River until she was about 10 years old. And then um, my grandparents, uh, my, my grandfather um, what do you say, enfranchised, uh, so he sold his status and uh, left, the, they took their family and left the reserve uh, in the 1970 area, 1970s, um, and bought a farm in Bruce, just outside of Bruce Mines. Wow. Uh, so my favorite family, uh, my favorite memories are of growing up on those, both those farms running around in the fields with my cousins and, um, really like, you know, deep appreciation for nature. And, um, like we used to build forts and like have these science labs in the, in the bush and like, you know, the little ponds and and that kind of thing. So like, really, those are my, my most cherished memories mm. and like family gatherings in those farmhouses and, and yeah, cool. that's my favorite.
1: Uh, I was born in Toronto, actually. Uh, that's mostly due to medical reasons. Uh, my dad is from Wasoxing First Nation, and my mom is from Perry Sound, Ontario. Uh, they were living in Wissoxing, That's where they planned to start their family. But my mom had gestational diabetes. So the hospital in Perry Sound uh, wasn't confident Um well, I, I shouldn't say they weren't confident, but they they wanted to send her to Toronto just you know for uh, as a precaution, right? So uh, after a few days, after I was born, I uh, went back to the res and that's where I grew up. Uh, I spent the first, uh, basically, my entire childhood and in, in adolescence and youth in, in Wissaxing. And I'd say uh, my favorite memories would just be yeah, more of those family gatherings, you know. Um, and we spent a lot of time on the water because. Where I'm from, Wasoxing and Perry Sound—that's right on Georgian Bay. So, just swimming all summer long, getting together with family, uh, a lot of outdoor activities. Um, you know, I, the home I grew up in um, on Wasoxing was right in the bush. So, uh, I spent a lot of time in the bush. You know, like with my family members doing various things like gathering food and medicine and, you know, doing, you know, hunting and, and fishing and that kind of thing. So yeah, my favorite memories are just of being on the land and being on the water and uh, having family nearby all the time. Amazing.
0: And so before we dive into how you met, I'd love to learn about who was Wab Gishig and Sarah before there was Wab Gishig and Sarah. And so I know that <laughs> I know that, Sarah, you did a little bit of, of lifting in the past, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm not correct. You won yeah. the bronze at the Winter Lift Provincials in 2014, and <laughs> you, you, did know, Wabishig, um, you obviously have a history in journalism and literacy. So like, what was your lives like before you crossed paths? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Well, you must have deep dive for that one. <laughs> so I um yeah, I was a lifter. Uh I did weightlifting, Olymp- Olympic style weightlifting for about eight years. Um when I was living in Ottawa, um I it really was a hobby and um and to keep me fit and I really enjoyed it. I did uh like CrossFit and that kind of thing at first. And um I I fell in love with uh Olympic weightlifting um and I uh I so in order to kind of like keep goals and that kind of thing I would go to competitions here and there and um it was a lot of fun uh post kids I can't do that anymore it takes a lot of uh it requires a lot of time um to train for that kind of thing but I try and continue to well I'm getting back into my fitness now um but outside of that um yeah, like I I actually would say that was a big part of my identity when I, when I lived in Ottawa was uh, doing weightlifting. I really love um, cooking. And, uh, and so um, I used to be really, I still am, but really passionate about, um, about food and uh, paleo diet in particular. Um, And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that, that was, I would say that was the biggest focus of my life. I was a bit of a gym rat back then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, um, you know, pre-Sarah, uh, <laughs> I, I guess I was probably more career driven. You know, I made that a priority and, you know, I always wanted to start a family someday, but, uh, you know, I was of the attitude that, you know, that'll just happen when it happens. Right. And. You know, I spent a lot of my time. You know, obviously, I worked in journalism full time, but I, you know, on top of that, had aspirations to become an author, so I did that in in my extra time. And um, you know, growing up, I was pretty firmly rooted in in our culture, uh, having you know um, being been raised in, in our community, um, close to ceremonies and and all those uh, mm-hmm. wonderful things. Um, But yeah, I sort of um, just thought, you know, eventually, eventually, you know, I'll find a partner and that'll happen, hopefully. Um, And I think it really came into sharper focus when when Sarah and I did cross paths and when we eventually started hanging out and got together. And I um, really realized the importance of of creating something with somebody else. And it was really special to Come to that realization because it's something I just—I don't think I really took seriously enough when I was younger, right? Because I had you know these goals in my career that I wanted to accomplish, and you know on top of that, I did all the other usual things that I still do now, like I'm into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I work out as much as I can, into music, a huge music fan. Um, But now, yeah, I feel like I have uh, more of a life's purpose, I guess, now that you know I'm part of a family. Wow, you have more of a life purpose
0: now that's that's an, an amazing statement i think so how did you cross paths like <laughs> where did you meet how did you meet was it love at first sight <laughs> story down for us
2: so um we met through wobb's cousin harmony rice um and i had uh her and i are friends and um we had worked together a bit uh through the organizations that we were working on working with so uh I was at the Assembly of First Nations at the time, and she was uh, consulting, I think, for um, Treaty 3, I think it was, Diane Kelly, Chief, uh, Grand Chief Diane Kelly was who she was working for at the time. She was in town and uh, so she had messaged saying, you know, hey, let's go for lunch. And then it was, hey, I had this cousin (laughs) who I would really like you to meet and I'm just going to invite them. And I was dating someone at the time, so it was like, well, okay, whatever. (laughs) And uh, and then uh, her and I went for lunch um, and it was like one of those situations where I thought, well. You know, we were going for kind of a, I think it was a late lunch and it ended up being a long lunch. And I probably shouldn't have been away from work for that long, but I kept on telling myself, well, we're talking about work. And, uh, and then, uh, and then Wob showed up. And I had recognized his name because he was on, he was working. I actually didn't have a TV at the time. Um, so I'd like never watched the news, but I listened to CBC all the time. And so I recognized his name because his reports would always be on the morning news and that kind of thing. Um, so he showed up and uh, we were at, what's uh, not, it's not there anymore, but it was called the Sweet Sweetgrass Cafe. Um, and I was like, hmm okay <laughs> okay <laughs> he's, he's okay <laughs> but then but then he caught then I was telling him about my work he was asking me about stuff and And he grabbed he he, like grasped onto this thing about diabetes. And I don't know, my files at the AFN included uh, food security. And I don't know, he was like, Oh, yeah, diabetes. And then like, he kept on talking to me about diabetes. And I was like, dude, that's not what I (laughs) 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 but yeah, it was it was a it was a for me, I was like, this dude is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> he's pretty good looking. I was like, Oh, no, no, I'm dating someone. <laughs> you
0: forgot about that for a quick second. Well, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it was hilarious because uh, my cousin Harmony had come to town for work. And uh, we, you know, been texting back and forth about meeting up. And I offered to give her a ride to the airport before she left. And I was working at CBC, um, but that week I was working on a special project, so I had a bit of flexibility in my schedule. Like, I didn't have to do a a story that day. So she said, well, come and uh, I'm meeting a friend for lunch. I want you to come and meet her. And I kind of rolled my eyes a bit because... if you're niche, you know, you have a lot of uh, relatives trying to set you up, right? And (laughs) she had tried to set me up many times before. And I kind of was like, Okay, you know, I'll I'll humor Harmony and come and meet her (laughs) friends. So I went and, you know, met Sarah. And I was like, Oh, you know, I was very interested, you know, pretty much immediately. And you know, tried to make links between whatever she was talking about and what I was into at the time. I think I was doing, yeah, I think I was doing like a long-term project on diabetes or something like that. So
2: he Gives me his card. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh, where it started, and I was like, oh, I'm definitely interested. But it wasn't until later in the fall. That was in the spring. Yeah, it was in May. Yeah, and then we didn't actually go on our first date until the end of September, yeah. and because obviously she was in yeah. a relationship, and right. it was the start of summer, and you know, not everybody gets into a relationship at the start of the summer, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, after we we started hanging out a bit, it sort of just really took off and we wow. haven't looked back. Now, two kids <laughs> later, right? Two so. kids later.
0: I love how Sarah was like, yeah, you know, she's like, hey, let's go for lunch. Hey, I have a cousin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So
0: funny. So where did you go for your first date?
2: The moon room on Preston Street. Wow. in uh, ottawa
0: and how was it on a scale of one to ten like first date
1: how did it go <laughs> uh, i would
2: say 10 you're giggling I, don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I it was great
1: <laughs> yeah it was good uh, we had lots to talk about uh, no no uncomfortable silences that mm. i remember and nice yeah we made plans to i think our second date was at the museum of nature in, in mm. ottawa maybe a, a week after that mm. or so i think anyway i think and this was like nine years ago, right? Yeah, so right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to um a pub on Elgin Street.
1: Oh, after the museum? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Very was... memorable times for sharing sure. yeah, that. Exactly.
2: <laughs> so
0: when you first met, like how long were you together before you got married?
1: Uh three or four years. Three, three years. Okay. Three years. Yeah. We got married in, in
0: June 2014. So yeah, three years wow mm-hmm. and so on that journey like how did you know that they were the one like when did you make that leap into a full commitment let's do this all in
2: i think like for me it was probably fairly early on it was like i'm pretty sure like second date area but wow. even first date even mm-hmm. first date i was like this guy is totally like everything he's saying is um is like hitting all my check marks so before okay so before we started dating i had like done some soul searching and like okay none of these relationships are that i've been in, in the past have worked out and why aren't they working out and okay like i want to get i i, I don't want to waste my time anymore um in in relationships that end it you know and you know maybe these are good people to be friends with but they're not the right person for me. And so I I remember um, actually sitting down and writing out like, these are the attributes, the characteristics of a, of a person who I want to be with. And um, this is going to sound totally niche, but I remember coming back from my parents' house and I was in my car driving back to um, Ottawa and I was like praying really hard art about this and I had tobacco in my hand because I was like you know what I just I'm done with I'm done with this guessing game I'm just gonna like put it out there into the out into the world and 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 I remember in my car had my tobacco on my hand and I was you know praying about you know to have this person come into my life and I put my hand out of the car window and I let that tobacco go and and it sounds like so romantic now but I just like I just didn't know what to do. I was so, so kind of like heartbroken over um thinking that you know I had been in relationships that were going to work out and then they weren't. And uh and at that time that uh, on that car ride I think Wob and I had already started kind of just like messaging a little bit here and there and had planned to get together for a coffee. And eventually that turned into before we actually went out on the date, it turned into a date. Um, But yeah, I think I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) Baby brain.
1: (laughs) Well, for me, um, I think it was, you know, getting to know, you know sarah obviously i was i was excited to meet her and you know after we hung out a couple times uh, you know i was very intrigued and I think it began, though, with, you know, meeting somebody else who's indigenous in, in Ottawa. Mm. And, you know, you, you know, as as someone who lives there, you know, it's it's a relatively small community and yeah. um, we stick together when we can. And when you meet somebody else who's, who's niche, it's like exciting, <laughs> whether you have romantic intentions or not. Right. It's like, oh, hey, here's a, another person I can, you know, uh, come into the circle with or mm-hmm. be friends with or whatever. So, right. you know, that that initial draw is there. But as we got to know each other, um, I quickly learned, you know, we had the same values in terms of um, what we believed in for ourselves as individuals. Uh, what we looked for in a community, and how we as individuals wanted to engage with that community, and you know, I guess the positivity all around that we just wanted to help foster, and you know, that's just part of being a good person, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I think our both of our backgrounds uh, was a factor as well. You know, um, my my mom is a settler, and my dad is Nishnabe. And for Sarah, it's it's the opposite, right? And there's a, a pretty unique perspective you bring to the world when you come from a mixed background, as as you know uh, as well, and. Um, it's, you know, the cliche is the walking in two worlds thing, but I think it's, it's, it's more than that too, though. It's like understanding, um, just the very complicated history that you embody as an individual, you know, and, and she was aware of that right away. And I thought, okay, this is, this is somebody I can relate with obviously, but also commiserate with at the same time. And just, you know, when, and, and when you're indigenous, like the weight of the world is, is very heavy. And I think you need somebody to um, confide in and to support at the same time, you know, and and I think we established that pretty early on in our relationship, and that was just really uh, heartwarming for me to to realize. And and I mentioned earlier, you know, I was more career driven, and and I just sort of was casual about you know romantic relationships and and creating something eventually. But when things started to pick up, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I need in my life, and this wow. is what's going to make me a better person all around, you know, mm-hmm. so. Wow. And it
2: makes it a lot easier to be in a relationship when you don't have mm-hmm. to explain anything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a big When one. You
2: don't have to like explain jokes or right. why something is funny or why something isn't funny or... <laughs> or history. <laughs> or history. Yeah. yeah. Or history. Like when you don't have to explain, um, you know, what enfranchisement means or right. like why your family doesn't live on the reserve or, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Wow. So Sarah puts tobacco down and then together, (laughs) you both kind of found a common set of values and beliefs that allowed you to really build that solid foundation Mm -hmm. and being able to share, you know, that common culture is an important factor that allowed you to kind of really fully commit. I think that's, that's, Mm -hmm. that's important.
2: Yeah. And, and just quickly going back to that. Yeah checklist there uh, Mm. coming back to my point that I forgot um it was it was sitting there and getting to Nawab and realizing like mentally going through that checklist and like realizing that he was like hitting it was like almost as though I had written him out right almost to a T and and like manifested him (laughs) and that and like he manifested for me and you know like it sounds so cheesy but it doesn't at all though but like it you know not being so specific but like I remember even um one of the things was you know if he had long hair that'd be okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, that, that's part of knowing who you are and knowing mm-hmm. what you want, right? Yeah. And that's being confident in, in your own self, um, yeah. which is important, big time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so great. would you say that, like Sarah, this, this question specific is to Sarah, would you say that that checklist is important um, You know, when finding that person? Do you think that it really helps you kind of have the right lens when you're looking for a partner that you've kind of identified some important traits so that when you find that person you can recognize that person versus kind of freestyling and hoping for the best because like my mom to be honest i'm relating to you because my mom had that checklist too maybe (laughs) it's a women thing i don't know but (laughs) it's like that she had that checklist and as a result she found her current husband you know and and i think that's it's working out really well for her so I think that's my question is just Mm -hmm. is that checklist important to kind of help you identify the right person for you
2: i think so like i i have whenever like it doesn't happen too often but like if i have a girlfriend who's like you know having a lot of heartache or you know really not sure where to go in romantic life and that kind of thing. I I share my that story. Mm. Um but it, I really think it only works when you have done the work for yourself. Mm. Um so before WAB, um I I went to therapy because I had um it wasn't about men. <laughs> but like, mm. i i was in my late 20s and i had a really great career um i had a great life but i had just felt like my bottom fell out mm.
1: um
2: my the like the bottom of my i don't even know how to s- describe it but it was it that's just how i felt like was the bottom of my life had fallen out and there was nothing wrong um my confidence was gone um and I was a pretty confident person uh and my self-esteem was really low and just like just everything was kind of feeling off and wrong and and I think a lot of people go through that like kind of a quarter life crisis kind of thing especially in your mid to late 20s um I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way and you know some people work their way out of it themselves and I just I'm kind of a proactive person when it comes to that kind of stuff and I was like nope I don't want to do this on my own I I don't know where to start like it was at the point where I was I lived on my own in my own apartment a two-bedroom apartment on Preston Street I paid for it all myself you know like I had a car I had all this stuff um and I couldn't be alone in my apartment and I just I would like walk around in my apartment and just like my my skin would crawl from like feeling like the cringiness of not wanting to be there by myself. And so I was like, you know, I can't do this. I started seeing a therapist and it took me like a year to, to kind of work through all those feelings. And, and I, honestly, even now I couldn't tell you what that one thing was. It was just kind of like working through different, feelings that that just weren't sitting right my self-confidence and and that kind of stuff and so you know a list is not going to do you any good if you don't do the work for yourself Mm. if you don't sit with yourself and learn who you are and and make sure that you love yourself before like that is like a totally um cringeworthy like like what's the um like thing that people say (laughs) (laughs) you gotta love yourself to love others but it actually is really true like Mm -hmm. if you if you don't sit and do the work and and understand who you are as a person and understand what you need in your life it doesn't matter like if you have a list because that list isn't gonna reflect what you actually need because you don't know
0: I think that's that's really important to share. And I appreciate you sharing about therapy. I think I love normalizing therapy and how important mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. Like when you need that help, go get that help from a professional as well. And mm-hmm. I think that that's a really important aspect as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. So my curiosity here now at this point, so you both shared a little bit of, of who you are individually, what your lives were like, who proposed and how did they propose? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that that was me it's 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 a bit of a long story um well I think it was sort of a foregone conclusion for both of us that we were gonna end up together for for good or for a considerable amount of time anyway um and part of that was just like open conversations we had like it wasn't a surprise to her that I proposed because we talked about you know creating a family and you Know uh, life. a life and you know a future and so on. So, um, but we went through those you know traditional so called motions anyway of like proposing and getting married. Fun. It was, yeah, it was fun for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to make light of any of that for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, bought an engagement tell ring. That
2: story, I'm gonna go get the yeah, baby.
1: baby's awake. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, bought an engagement ring in Ottawa and um, we had planned this trip to Peru. And this was in um, the spring of 2013. So, yeah, after about a year and a half, we were sort of uh, committed to each other. And, you know, we had these plans to spend our lives together. And, you know, I was like, OK, well, we'll make it official by getting married and uh, I will officially propose to you too. So, we went to Peru for three weeks in the spring of 2013, and I bought this engagement ring um, in Ottawa. Here's our little guy. <laughs> Don't reach for
2: that. He just started reaching for
1: things. <laughs> this is the obvious, by the way. You'll likely hear him, you listeners. Oh, so anyway, we, uh, yeah, went down to Peru. I uh, told some friends, some buddies that I was planning on proposing to Sarah while we were in Peru. And uh, we flew out of Montreal and on the way to Montreal, I got a text from a buddy saying, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't take that expensive ring down there with you because my in-laws were just there and they got robbed Wow! so i was like well it's too late now i got this ring packed away in my in my backpack so um i carried it around peru for for a few weeks and we did this big long excursion on the inca trail uh which took four or five days and it ended in in uh machu picchu you know the former inca city that's on top of the mountain right So just this wonderful place. I was like, okay, I'll do it there. I'll I'll pop the question in Machu Picchu. But we got there on like early on a Saturday morning and it was just crawling with tourists. Right. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to make this memorable with like (laughs) all these people crawling around Machu Picchu, taking pictures and all that. So I was like, damn there goes that moment so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we had a we still had about a week to go in peru and i was like what what am i gonna do like what's my plan so on on the second last day we were there we took this trip to uh the beach on the pacific ocean uh this city called moyendo and it was off season beach season was over so all the attractions on this beach were shutting down and it was kind of like um a bit of a ghost town and maybe a little bit sketchy Mm -hmm. and i was like this is my last chance though (laughs) so we're on this beach on the pacific ocean and i just i don't even remember what i said i just like you know here's here's a ring we marry me kind of thing and uh so
2: every time we would be at like a spot that i would think oh maybe maybe this would be like real romantic and like nothing would happen
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, But anyway, I gave it to her, but took it right back because I didn't want, you know.
2: Mm. Uh, He's d- like, you can't have this until we get here.
0: <laughs> that's so fascinating. Amazing. Wow. I think that's always incredible to hear those stories. I mean, they're always so different. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> Um, So just fast forwarding a little bit into both of your career paths. I know, uh, Wab Gishig, you studied journalism throughout university. And uh, for those who are maybe learning about you for the first time, uh, your first story collection, Midnight Sweat Lodge, won Independent Publishers Book Award 2012. You received the Anishinaabe Nation's Dubuwin Citation for Excellence in First Nations Storytelling 2014, and then you left working for CBC in 2020 uh, to focus on your literary career. So why did you choose Mm -hmm. literature and journalism as a profession, or did that choose you?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a great question when you put it that way. <laughs> I think like both of those professions chose me in some ways because I didn't really um, aspire to be a journalist or an author when I was younger uh, as a teenager, right? And I went to high school back in the 1990s, um, 41 years old, just to just to give uh, your listeners a frame of reference there. Um, but, you know, I, I went through high school being an honor student and not really having any idea of what I wanted to do for college or university for a career. Right. So um, I ended up falling into journalism because I did an exchange program to Germany when I was 17. And I was uh, invited by a, a newspaper uh, published by the Nishnabek nation called the Nishnabek news to write monthly articles for them. Wow. And that was a really cool experience. So that's yeah. what really exposed me to journalism. And that's what made me want to get into it. Um, as for uh, literature, um, I was always an avid reader. Um, I always loved creative writing. Uh, but again, I didn't know how that could translate into any sort of career either. Right? right. Um, but you know, I had an aunt who, uh, my auntie Lane, um, who's since passed away. She showed me books by indigenous authors like Thomas King and Lee Miracle and Richard Wagamese and people like that. And that really inspired me to try that on my own. And, uh, it wasn't until after my uh, journalism career got underway underway that I really sort of started to pursue that in a serious way and um, I think it was uh, because I had the fortune of meeting a lot of Indigenous authors and Mm. you know being in the arts the Indigenous arts community in Toronto which is where I lived at the time um, that really helped me make those connections to the literary world so um, yeah you know I, I didn't really aspire to be those things but you know I was very lucky in that I met some great people who, who showed me the way essentially. And I think that's testament to the community that I'm from and to the circles that I've managed to find myself in over the years that, you know, they've always been very uh, encouraging and I've always felt very supported. So I'm, I'm just, mm-hmm. I feel, yeah, again, really fortunate that uh, I'm, I'm at where I am today. Nice. I have one of your books. I got the legacy
0: oh. and It's autographed. So I'm really grateful for that. So for those who don't know his novel legacy came out 2014. And then he recently has Moon of the Crested Snow that came out in 2018. Go check it out available everywhere pretty much on your website, you can go find it. So transitioning a little bit uh, to Sarah. Sarah, you were a former director of the Indigenous Portfolio at the University of Sudbury and now working in the public health sector.
2: Mm -hmm. What made
0: you choose your profession?
2: Oh well, um, so growing up um, I was always, I have uh, an aunt and an uncle who both went to Trent University and uh, education was always really important in my family. Um, I was told from a very young age that I would be going to university. Like, basically, had no choice. You're going to university, and and you're also going to go to Trent University at that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess because both my aunt, one of my aunts and one of my uncles, both went there. Um, so I went to Trent University. Um, and uh, I got a degree uh, in Indigenous, or well, it's, it was Native studies at the time and environmental studies. And mm-hmm. then I went on to um, uh, York University and got a Master's of um, uh, Environmental Studies. And during those, during all of that time, I was always focused on Indigenous studies or Native studies. And um, that was really because um, of my feeling of a lack of connection to community um, I really learned what it was to a lot about what it was to be Anishinaabe or native in this country and and as a person um, during those university years um, like as I said earlier my grandfather enfranchised um, my grandmother uh, didn't have status she was a non uh, woman. Um, and uh and and so i was raised to be um proud to be native um knew a lot politically um about being native and that kind of thing but spiritually uh both families were re- pretty christian um and and so it wasn't really until i got into university that um i started exploring those uh, exploring that identity um more, and then through my exposure to different um, organizations like the Chiefs of Ontario,
1: yeah.
2: um, I volunteered uh, with um, some some youths doing youth stuff uh, with the Chiefs of Ontario. I would really attribute um, the way in which my career started to uh, Sue Chiplo. Uh, from also from Garden River she um, kind of like took me under her wing and mentored me for a while um, brought me around to a whole bunch of youth um, things when I was just finishing up my master's and uh, we were in I think it was in aquasosne and she um, brought me to this meeting it was a multi-day meeting and and she cornered the the director of environmental um, the environment unit at the AFN, and she was like you need to you need to hire this girl she's going to be finishing up her master's in the next few months and you better hire her <laughs> <laughs> and so I sent my resume in, and they were hiring a junior policy analyst and uh, and so that's where it started and and even like just as I was starting to think about okay, what am I gonna do? like I really had no idea. But what I did decide at that point was uh, finishing up university at that point I had decided I'm gonna I'm gonna dedicate my career to working f- on, beha- on behalf of and for um, First Nations, indigenous mm. people. Mm. Um, specifically, I have mostly worked um, on First Nation files, but um, now, it's more um indigenous uh, um but yeah like that's really just been the main trajectory of my career is is working um for and on behalf of first nations indigenous um community um just to serve mm. um and do what i can use my experience um and my my it, what I've been exposed to nationally and and that kind of thing for um, for bettering, um, bettering those uh, files and, and organizations that I'm working for.
0: Amazing. I like to ask that question because I think our career paths <clears throat> put a highlight in some of the ways we've had to overcome uh, adversity in some form or fashion. And so that kind of leads into my next question, what was a difficult situation that you both had to overcome together?
2: <laughs> hmm. When we talked about that one earlier, we were like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. There's quite a few, uh, quite a few things like at the beginning of our relationship, unfortunately, um, we had a lot of, uh, there was a lot of death in, in Wob's community and specifically in uh, his family. Uh, um, and <sighs> Wob's like my, he's like the steady one always in our family and in, in our relationship. And like, I'm always like kind of up and down, I'm emotional and, you know, in all in the good ways. <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, the, the steady ship of our, of our union. Um. And so when he's off, when he's off kilter, it really throws me. And so mm. I would say like, for me, that's been a really big, um, learning curve is how to support support him um how to support a really strong person is when when they're not able to be strong is uh has been has been a a big challenge um so yeah there was a lot of death in his community in his family Hmm. at the beginning of our relationship um our uh our first son's birth was very challenging i had a medical emergency and and it was uh pretty scary um and then parenting (laughs) parenting has been challenging too
1: (laughs) yeah um i would say all those things uh you know i i think i have Experienced a lot of loss and and tragedy over the course of my life, and you know it's been difficult um, ever since uh, I was young. But you know I, I have been equipped to to handle those things mostly, and and I think you know if Sarah considers me sort of steady, that's a result of of working on on some of those things emotionally, mm-hmm. right? And. Right. Um, trying to find ways to help support others during these times of crisis, you know, um, but that's not to say I'm, I'm infallible because there were some moments uh, in recent years um, where a lot of those challenges came up that I also had to seek counseling, you know, mm-hmm. um, specifically grief counseling. And I, I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded by a very supportive and understanding and uh, really um I guess open-minded family, but you do need an extra set of ears sometimes. That's not directly connected to you when you're trying to work through some of these difficulties, right? So, yeah, I'll echo what Sarah said earlier about you know going to therapy or going to th- counseling because even someone who's immersed in the culture or has access to those healing ceremonies. I think you still need somebody else outside of that just just in case, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, getting through some of those tough times was just about having open communication you know expressing my feelings um talking about how how sad i was or how angry i was about certain events and um but yeah since the beginning there's been there's been a lot a lot of trying times outside of our own immediate family circle Mm -hmm. right um uh, but yeah, that, that just really solidified our partnership for me too. And that I always knew that I could rely on Sarah for that support and that, you know, she would always help me get through these things. And, and yeah. I, and I think, you know, hopefully our kids are are well equipped for that as they grow up too, you know, they'll be able to handle these things and in, in, in their own ways, but also um, seeking out help when they need to at the same time, you know? So
0: I find that one of the most fascinating things actually is in those moments of adversity or mm-hmm. challenging times in a relationship, it seems that when you get to that other side together mm-hmm. as a couple, it actually builds a stronger, deeper bond within mm-hmm. that relationship. And I think that's such an important thing to echo what you what you've shared, because. I think for people who are in relationships or, you know, new, new couples who are exploring, you know, fully committing to their partner, those are important factors to consider is that when you have a disagreement, it's worth being able to work through it in healthy ways. Like you mentioned, you know, healthy communication, expressing your emotions and maybe seeking outside help, Mm -hmm. but it's worth it because it helps bring that, that stronger bond together as a couple. So I think that's really, really fascinating for you to share. And so, kind of just in our our tail end of this uh podcast here, how important is laughter
1: in your relationship? <laughs> it's huge, and I think uh people who who know us uh, I think we're probably notorious for both having <laughs> uh loud laughs right <laughs> uh but we, we can laugh because we can cry. We can laugh because we can express frustration. You know, we can laugh loudly because uh, we are able to keep our little guys healthy, you know, and I think we can laugh because we have a solid family around us, you know, and um, for me, I, I I really give credit to my own parents for the work that they did to, raise me and my brothers in in a as positive a, a way as possible. And they had a lot to deal with on their own back in, you know, the 1970s, right? When they were first getting together and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we, we are empowered to laugh because of, you know, the, I guess, emotional, um, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, the emotional toolkit that we have, I guess you could say, you know, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's oh, that, we
2: can find the humor in just about anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, like you can, you can go to a funeral of a loved one if you're Nish and somebody's <laughs> going to make light of it somehow, you know, you're going to laugh at a funeral.
0: Real, <laughs> real talk though. That's real, real talk. talk. Yeah. Yep. So speaking of, of Nish, from the perspective of your traditional teachings, which ones are the most important to you and how do you integrate them into your relationship?
2: i think kindness is probably the i would say that probably the a pillar of of our relationship like you know it's it's easy to get mad and or um or to uh get frustrated i think is probably more a better description of any kind of um thing that ever happens between us is frustration and and if that occurs, kindness is always the thing that I kind of have to, you know, go back to all the time and, um, and parenting too like kindness, I always have to remind myself, like, no matter what I'm feeling, the way in which I express that those feelings need to be kind in order to get anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say for me, you know, I I grew up uh, in the Medewan Lodge, even though I'm not an initiate, uh, I'm not an, an official member of the Medewan Society, I guess. But my, my dad is, and my stepmother is, and a lot of my family are. So I grew up in the Lodge uh, hearing a lot of those teachings. And I guess the main things I took away from those teachings were respect, for sure, and kindness and love. And And the respect part really is about you know uh, being one with the environment and the world around you and and knowing your place in it and how your actions and behavior really impacts everything else around you right And a key offshoot of that, I think, is being empathetic, like being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really understanding why they may struggle, you know. So, you know, I think having those discussions at an early age uh, was really formative for me. And another big thing I really should highlight is just how those teachings helped move me away from sort of macho ideals of being a man. Mm. And because there is toxic masculinity ingrained in a lot of indigenous communities as a result of being colonized and and displaced, right? I, I think my dad did a lot of work himself to try to overcome that on his own. And um, I think he really struggled when he was younger because he grew up in an era when, you know, men were taught that they couldn't express emotion and that they had to be strong and macho. And those were ideals imposed upon our communities by, you know, so-called Western influences, right? right? Uh, And that wasn't part of traditional, I guess, behavior at all, you know, like men were supposed to be you know, emotionally available, and they're supposed to be, you know, taking on all roles and not just specific roles for men, right? Mm. So, and I give credit to my mother, too, for empowering my dad on that healing journey on his own, you know, so, um, so yeah, for me, it's about busting those stereotypes about what being a man is. And right. we have two boys. And I think it's important that wow. they grew up right. with those ideas too. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's so important to highlight, uh, Wob is
0: is that you continuously are paying homage and respect to your parents for the work that they've done so that you can have the balance that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think if if our listeners can kind of pick up on if you are in a relationship and that may not be your reality, that can be the work that you do so that the future generation doesn't have to do that work either. So I think that's such a significant point to make, you know, projecting into the future and for new couples who might be experiencing some of those hardships is that if they do that work and you bring, you know, young people into this world that you are making a difference into that next generation and to be able to have you on this power couple podcast to talk about that, I think is a testament exactly to that. Um, Cause I can relate, you know, my mom did the same thing. She moved off of the res, went to Regina you know, met my father, and she moved off of the rest so that she can really live a better life so that her children coming into this world can have a safer environment to grow up in. So I relate to that a lot. And so I think that's why I wanted to really highlight that. Um, So moving forward, how do you keep the fire burning in a relationship (laughs) together for an extended period of time? Like, is that something you have to actively work on? Or is that something that is just consistently there?
1: Oh, I would, I would say it's something you have to work on, yeah. especially once you have kids. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, there there is little time or room for uh, keeping that fire stoked, I guess you could say, you know? Um, especially
2: with like a really little one, like with this right. baby, he's oh. always awake.
1: Oh, and especially, yeah, especially during the <laughs> pandemic too, you know, like we... You know in in regular times uh, we would have family come in and you know watch the kids for the night so we could go out for for dinner or something right Right. uh but we can't do that right now Mm -hmm. so you know i i empathize with everybody struggling through that um but you know the time will come we just have to be patient i guess
2: i think probably the most important part of that too though is that we're like genuinely friends Mm. like that helps a lot like friends with benefits is- <laughs> <laughs> but like like we're friends like right now wow. I'm on mat leave and and he's working from home and that could be like a really big um, recipe for disaster if we weren't friends mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know um so I think it's that's you know part of that you know doing the work for yourself and making sure that you know yourself and um choosing a partner who is your friend I think is really important first because Mm -hmm. otherwise like it's really hard to maintain that connection when you have little ones and you're not necessarily able to take those Romantic night, like our romantic nights are (laughs) right now, are like sitting downstairs while I have the baby on my lap and we're texting back and forth like funny memes or (laughs) videos and like so romantic. But like, that's how you know we keep each other laughing, and and like, I think romance is, um, you know, you kind of have to ebb and flow through romance in a long-term relationship and you know it looks different at different points in your relationship Mm -hmm. like right now it really truly probably is like sending funny memes
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think another big part of that too is is giving space you know um making sure that somebody else has the time to be on their own if they need to be yeah. and it's hugely challenging for Sarah right now because she has a baby obviously and our uh older son is almost four and he's you know very attached to to her right now at the moment because he's still so young so you know I have to make sure I I do what I can to give her even if it's just a half hour to go aside for a walk like I gotta right. I gotta make sure I, I let I'm able to let her do that right and um on top of that, too, like just other small things in terms of, you know, sustaining a good relationship is, you know, having your own interests and, mm-hmm. and and making sure you are able to spend time with your own interests. Like we don't listen to the same music or are interested in the same movies or TV shows at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we do that on our own because that's I guess that's part of your own personal identity, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, making sure that you're still an individual, even though you're part of this, you know lifelong union at the same time
2: you have something to talk about <laughs> right. Right.
1: i think that's so interesting is that how
0: important it is to maintain your own identity within the relationship is part of keeping the fire burning i think that's and really- it takes work
2: too right to maintain that personal that i that your own identity it takes a lot of work
0: mm-hmm. and so support. that that work is important though and i think You know, it kind of interconnects with what we were talking about earlier is that when you overcome those adverse scenarios, they build the relationship stronger. So that work effort to, you know, keep the the spark alive is worth it in the long run at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So what does, so I only have just a, a few more questions left, but what does love mean to you?
1: Well, I think right now is a perfect illustration <laughs> where, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're spending time uh, together doing this chat with you, which we are very honored to do. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool to be able to reflect on, mm. you know, on ourselves, both as individuals and as a couple, um, you know, you sort of take a step back and put the wider uh, lens on it. And it's like, oh, wow, you know, these are. The things we've accomplished. And right. um, yeah, that's a big part of love. And, you know, as, as Sarah sits there to breastfeed our, our <laughs> that's baby, why that's why she's off, <laughs> she's off camera at the moment. But it's, you know, that, I mean, I am uh, so enamored by that, you know, that just fills me with love to, to see that happen in my home and know that that is, you know, my life partner and our second child, you know, and she's wow. feeding him and making sure that he's uh, strong and healthy, right? So wow. Yeah, I think love is just uh, creating that foundation, really. And, you know, it's. uh, I think we're both, in some ways, too, uh, quite pragmatic when it comes to considering love, too. You know, of course, we are romantic and we are in love with each other. But, you know, we also see a union, a partnership as very utilitarian, too. You know, we both bring certain skills to the table and we both have... um, I guess certain insights and wisdom that we can you know pass on to our children and and I think all of that is is just uh empowering and that really makes me feel love and it fills me with love to to consider all those things. Amazing. Anything you want to add? Ditto.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, cool. I, I
2: I like that idea of, of love being a bit on the utilitarian side. You know, like you can't always you know walk around with hearts in your eyes. You got, you know you got there's shit to do, and mm. um, we you know we have kids, and and love to me is supporting each other um, to accomplish each other's goals. And um, I would say that we really have very much a strong Um, union and a strong relationship in those in that support because um, even work-wise like we rely on each other um, a bit like work-wise Wob will text like you were just texting me the other day asking me for ideas for something that he was asked about to do and and like I rely on him um, and my work and if I'm not sure about something I'll you know we'll, we'll go over things um ideas together and and that kind of thing and so it's multifaceted and Mm. um yeah it's it's uh it's supporting each other in in all aspects of of life and being interested and um engaged and listening and and all those um great things Mm
0: love that i think i like how you put it in the sense that love is multifaceted but it's also supporting each other to accomplish each other's goals Mm -hmm. i think that's such an incredible thing to say in regards to what love means to you i think that's that's incredible so i want to pose this question as if you were talking to your future sons and they're getting into a relationship Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to a new couple (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I would
2: uh... <laughs> well definitely that they need to know who they are mm. and to I don't even think I would say that you need to respect your partner I think because they would just autumn, like I, I hope that we are raising good human beings who are, um, going to contribute good things into the world. And like, that's what makes me excited about raising sons is that, um, is that I hope that we raise good human beings who will have good relationships, mm-hmm. um, and that we equip them with the tools that, um, will, will carry them into those good relations Mm -hmm. um but for telling them as a new couple it's really like you have to be open and honest and um listen to each other um and that honesty part is important in like is this a relationship that is going to um be a, a good relationship, romantically and long term, mm-hmm. and if it's not, be honest about that, right? Like, if that's not what is going to work in between that new couple, then there's no sense in um, in in continuing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when you first asked that, I, I was <laughs> trying to think of some something funny to say, but <laughs> I didn't want to say anything inappropriate. Like it was like wrap it up until you're ready or something like that, right? <laughs> uh but I, I just think about what my parents taught me. Like they always taught me to be patient. Uh, they always taught me to to listen. Um, and and I think that's what I'd I'd relay too, is just uh, yeah, that patience is really key. And uh, a big part of it is what Sarah brought up earlier, in, in terms of understanding who you are before you, you know, fully commit to somebody else, right? Um. <laughs> that was great. Big <laughs> from the big guy here. Yeah.
0: I love it. I actually love it. I think it's an amazing thing to have your son there with you today. Honestly, so two closing questions. What does a power couple mean to you?
2: I think just supporting each other Mm. in all aspects.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I I wouldn't consider us a power couple, (laughs) but we we empower each other. I think Mm. that's what a a good, strong, solid couple does is empower each other so that you are powerful in many ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I, I don't consider... you know the, the the whole concept of being a role model comes up and, and i'm always a little uncomfortable with that because i don't think you know uh you know there are things I, I could work on on my own too to be a better person you know even though i'm 41 years into this journey um there are things i i still need to work on it's a continuing process you know um and it's not just about self-improvement it's about being a good influence within your circle and and in your community and on people around you so yeah I think empowering each other uh, results in I guess a positive example Mm -hmm. you know in terms of being a couple Mm
2: -hmm. amazing like yeah we wouldn't um, we wouldn't be able to accomplish the goals that we have in this life if we weren't Um, supporting each other and empowering each other to to do what we do in our in our lives Mm -hmm.
0: makes sense so here's my last question for you what are your plans for the future individually and as a couple
1: it's a good question um go ahead
2: I don't think that we like we haven't we talk about like the future and and that kind of thing but we haven't like, this is our future right now, (laughs) this (laughs) little baby. Um, and so for me, I think, um, I'm kind of like coming into a, a, a spot in my life where I need to reevaluate and, and see, and think about, not reevaluate, but evaluate and see like where do I want to be in five, 10, 15 years, um, career wise and, and that kind of thing. Um, personal wise, um, I just want to continue to grow as a mother, um, as a parent and as a wife, um, and as a person, um, I, I often like think pragmatically like, oh, where do I want to be financially? And like, cause that's easy to, I find that easier to control than like, um, Uh, Personal wise, because I'm kind of like a go with the flow kind of person. Um, But I think. Yeah, like just being a continuing to grow as a mother and and as a person and as a and being growing as a person makes me a a better wife. Mm -hmm. So the partner.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think the ultimate reflection of where we are in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years is how these guys turn out, right? Mm-hmm, like yeah. h- how the little guys end up and, you know, <laughs> that's the ultimate um, test of being a parent, really. So I guess that's probably my priority is making sure our two children grow up to be, you know, kind and respectful and happy and healthy Um kids and people. And if they aren't, then that's okay, too, because we're all going to work together on that, you know, on, on doing whatever we need to, to, to help each other. Um, uh, I guess from a professional standpoint, I just, I'm just going to keep writing books for, for a while. And, you know, I have a list of things I want to get to in terms of uh, book subjects. Um, and personally, you know, I'm, I'm working on uh, learning Anishinaabemwin, uh, our language properly. And I would like to become a fluent speaker someday. And I would like to be able to teach these guys uh, a little more. Um, But that is an ongoing journey too. So um, we'll see how that ends up.
0: Thank you both so much for joining us here today on the Power Couple Podcast. I'm, I can't help but express how much gratitude and thankfulness that I have resonated in my body. It's, it's an amazing thing to sit here and learn from you both to share your love journey, to share your, your kind of highlights and, and insights to your relationship. I think I'm, I'm so excited for our audience to hear these stories and hear this journey. I think it's really important considering our times. So thank you again both for being here. I appreciate it. I definitely think you're a power couple to me. A power couple is anybody who is making their relationship work. I think that yeah. takes power and strength to make a relationship work. So thank you again. Wash day. Appreciate it. And uh, we will stay in touch.
1: Okay. Yeah, Chmigwicz, brother. Really appreciate it. This has been a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really neat to be able to take a look at who we are as people and as a couple and as a family. You know? like, yeah, it was fun. And, and yeah, maybe we don't do that enough. So maybe we'll do our own uh, personal reflections every week or something. But yeah, you, thanks for such a great conversation. We really loved uh, answering those questions. You know, <laughs> and I think this guy's had enough. So. <laughs>
0: All the best. Thank you again.
2: I appreciate okay, it. Okay, take Bye. care. Big wedge. Take Bye. care. Watch day.